Well, Saturday evening, I was feeling pretty downbeat about one all draw at Leeds, especially with how City had played in the opening 20 minutes. But you know what? By Sunday evening, I was feeling a whole lot better about that point at Ellen Road. Welcome to Why Always Us. This is the Athletics Manchester City podcast. I'm David Mooney. With me is Sam Lee. Hi, Sam. Hello. And I suppose it is 24 hours, isn't it, that uh, that can completely change your perspective on a game? <laughs> uh, I suppose. <laughs> I'd, 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 I still think the 90 minutes were the 90 minutes. But I mean, look, if... If Liverpool aren't going to be as great this season as they were last season, then yeah, maybe it changes things a bit. But I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll get uh, into that. Yeah, we're yeah, going to we get, into, get that. into that. We uh, get into well, for a limited time only, we're offering you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. You can read all of our writing on City and so much more, including Sam's deadline day article about how the club broke the transfer record but still failed to address their weaknesses. And Sam, that's well, I think we'll come to that as well, won't we? Yeah, there's a lot of time for that. Yeah, uh, a pound, pound a month. Like we said it last week, it's madness. Yeah, what are they still doing? <laughs> have they not stopped doing this yet? Um, yeah, yeah, like, it, it is mad. It's mad. Um, but yeah, I think if it gives people a, a year to access it for, for these prices, then hopefully they'll keep coming back and enjoy enjoy what we do. And yeah, yeah it's, I mean, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to think it's good value anyway, but. A, a pound, it's, it's perfectly good value at a pound yeah, a month. Yeah. Uh, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man City pod, and you can sign up for just one pound a month. Um, where should we start, Sam? Lead, uh, Ellen Road performance, hmm. or, or should we start on transfers? I think transfers is the more, um, it, it's the kind of the thing everybody seems to be talking about at the moment. I suppose so, yeah. And it was the most recent thing as well. To yeah. Imagine. The Leeds game feels like about two weeks ago. Um, it's, it's just everything that's happened since. I, I mean, yeah. on, on transfers, then in that case, um, you, I mean, you, you said that in in that piece that they've uh, that they've broken the transfer record, still failed to address their weaknesses. I, I was going to ask, have City done enough? Well, clearly, you think not. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I think that's a pretty common view as well. I mean, there's. I am. I'm a bit wary because I probably mentioned it on the podcast. I've definitely tried to address it in a few different articles. Whereas, like, I don't want people who aren't City fans to read my articles and just think all I'm doing is advocating for them to go and spend loads more money because I do think they've got a lot of good players already and with Guardiola in charge between them, they should be able to sort some stuff out. But at the same time, I do think there's a couple of of holes in the squad that need addressing. And given we know that there was at least money to spend at the start of the summer, I'm not sure if that evaporated during the middle or whatever. And obviously the whole messy thing, would have cost a lot of money. We know that there was money there and we know that in the last week they tried to buy a left-back. I do think that left-back is the one glaring area in the squad. Now, I've written before that I think they could do with a midfielder um, and there was a, a couple available. Um, they could do with the striker as well. But then if you start going through all those positions, it does sound a bit like, well, they've spent loads of money. Let's just spend a load more and everything will be okay. Yeah. But I've... But left back really is the one for me. Well, in a weird way, and I don't want to—I don't want to offend City fans here. Uh, but I was having a, a conversation this afternoon with uh, a friend of mine who's a United fan, and uh, he, he, his argument about United's transfer window was that that Edward Wood hadn't backed uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and that they, that they needed to spend money on the team. And I was like, well, hang on a second. You know, United very recently have beaten City to, to some of, of, of City's key targets in in recent yeah. windows. How about Solskjaer? starts coaching them and getting them to play mm. better. Then all of a sudden I thought, Hang, that, that could yeah, apply yeah, to City as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it, there's an element of both for both clubs. But like, I don't know, it's different because with City, nobody says they haven't spent money already. You can't move 
for people telling you how much money City have spent. Whereas with the United, if you listen to it, you'd think they were just scraping by on academy graduates. And they hadn't just, like, like I say, beaten City to Sanchez and to Maguire and to Fred. They well, yeah, the like Maguire was, what, the most expensive... Is he the most expensive centre-back? Pogba was a world record at the time. And yeah, I mean, all of that kind of stuff. So um, it, it's weird how it how it's different. And another, another thing, actually, which is another tangent, but I, I was writing a bit about that 400 million spent on defenders figure. And it's like, I think everybody listening to this, who's a City fan at least, will agree that there's some, or, or at least believe that there's some element in the media of City get treated differently, particularly when it comes to money. So, and obviously the the stat over the weekend is, you know, how oh, Guardiola spent over 400 million on defenders. It's like, it, it seems like that's a, a stat geared towards Guardiola because if you just wanted to, if you just opened it up another season, you could include Otamendi in that. And if you can, if you opened it up another season before that, so only in since 2016, so uh, 14, 15, start 14, 15. You can get Mangala. Yeah. Like, and, and Mangala... He sprung to mind today because with Zinchenko and not being able to get a left back in, they obviously struggled to get rid of Zinchenko. They struggled to get rid of Otamendi. You know, if if it, if it had gone to Sevilla or Sevilla would have had him, then they'd probably signed Koundé instead of Diaz. And obviously, they struggled to get rid of Mangala to such an extent um, that he had to leave on a free. So, it, 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 I know, like I say, it's just a tangent, but it's like it feels like this four hundred million is more a stick to beat Guardiola with than the club. But then I can't work out who is to blame because obviously it's a club issue because it predates Guardiola. And then it's a club issue of not, in a sense, throwing good money after bad, but um, just if they realise they've made a mistake, then they will spend to put that right. Um, But then it's like, so is that a City thing where they just keep spending money? Or is it a Guardiola thing where he can't, kind of get the best out of these players he's got. Are they good enough? But and like we said last week, like are they have they been ruined actually by the fact that there's they've just got so many counterattacks to put yeah, up with. Like, they're so exposed, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're so exposed. So I mean I suppose to cut off that little tangent and get right back to where we want to be. Um there's so many issues in the squad. Oh, you know, there's issues in the squad already. We know the, the makeup of the midfield. Maybe it can't stop the counterattacks. Maybe the pressing's not the same. One of the issues about the Leeds game was that City were good for about 25 minutes, and then they didn't look able to keep it up. And maybe that's fitness or whatever, or maybe you know it's a it's a more worrying trend that goes back to last season. Um, but those issues were never going to be fixed by whoever the centre back was, and those issues wouldn't have been fixed by a new left back. But they just definitely, definitely, definitely needed a left back. And we were talking before about. Look, they've been willing to spend money. So, so one of the small things, it is small, one of the small things that annoys me about that 400 million figure is like Cancelo and Danilo are both on there. And I think I said this last week, but like, well, they only had to buy Cancelo because Danilo left. And, you know, so at least some of that was offset. Look, yeah. it doesn't bring the figure down much, but, you know, there's, there's an element of that. But whether it's that kind of situation where Danilo wanted to go, so they said, okay, we'll bring someone else in. Or they've said, well, Otamendi's not good enough. Mangala's not good enough. Stones hasn't worked out company's gone so we're going to spend that's obviously what they do but the fact that they i guess this is the third season now they've gone into where people are thinking including myself they definitely need a left back or at least in previous seasons they were thinking they could do with a left back now they think definitely should have it's just weird that they haven't yeah i think i think when you go back to obviously they they spent big on the fullbacks ahead of guardiola's second season 17 18 and like part of that was bringing in Benjamin Mendy, who was you know a, a great player for Monaco and looked great in that opening 
what was it, four or five games until he did his knee in, uh, yeah. in against uh, Palace. Um, and then you go into 18-19, you can kind of forgive the, the, the naivety of going into that season and not addressing the left-back issue because you go, well, Mendy's back and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's had his, um, you know, he's done his recovery and, and he should be heading somewhere to where he used to be. And then as that season goes on, you go, well, okay, it's, it, it just isn't working out for Mendy. So last season, they, they get to the start of last season and they don't address the problem. And you kind of go, well, maybe it, it must just be a priority next summer. And then it doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like one of the things as well is I've always kind of had faith, I suppose, in the city board in the sense that when they didn't get Jorginho, it was kind of like, okay, well, they'll get the right person. And when they signed Rodri, in terms of all the attributes, I remember thinking, well, he ticks all the boxes. He sounds great. Um, why didn't they just sign him last year before he went to Atletico Madrid and he would have cost like 20 million euros or whatever. And I think like we talked about Rodri last week. You know, he's, he's got some issues that aren't entirely his fault. Maybe he's the wrong type of player and City didn't realise whether they made a mistake or they didn't realise however you want to put it. Maybe it's that. But then, and then you get the other situation where they didn't get Maguire, which to be fair, I thought he would have been a good buy even halfway through last season. Um, I was probably wrong about that. Um, but regardless, in terms of missing out on a target, you think, okay, well, next summer they'll sort it out. And obviously when it was like, well, they're going to get Koulibaly and you think, great. But when they went through that whole hokey-cokey with centre-backs and ended up with um, Ruben Diaz. So again, like he reminds me of Rodri in the sense that, oh yeah, those attributes seem good. City need that. But they clearly didn't want him as, as first choice. So I'm a bit wary about him. But I've lost that faith that, oh yeah, next summer everything will be fine. Or yeah. they will do all the right planning and they'll get their business done early and they'll get it done well. And it will be someone who's perfect for the squad. It just, um, I mean, so it does- I don't think, like, even if they were saying, like, even if they were thinking devil's advocate oh this isn't going to happen but it even if they were thinking oh it's all right well the reason we're not getting anyone now is because we're going to get alfonso davis next summer i wouldn't actually have the faith that they'd actually be able to close that operation is there a feeling that they are like as each transfer window comes around it's kind of like putting out what fires they can and then seeing where they're at at the end of it yeah and i mean to to an extent like in in fairness so I've, i've written an article which might not go up until thursday about the whole left back situation and like running through the kind of topics we've talked about already. And look, there is an element of sometimes, you know, those those fires do arise. So I've said this a lot of times, but up until Mendy needed that third procedure to clean his knee out last April, as City were going for the title against Liverpool, um, they were going to get Chilwell, but then they had to cancel Chilwell. And that's, that kind of goes to show that sometimes, you know, not everything can be done and you need to fight fires. And then obviously... People have said, you know, they decided not to replace company and it bit them on the ass. And I've always, it's always annoyed me because I know they did try. Uh, it just didn't work out. And ultimately, it's the same outcome. But in terms of if, you, if you're criticizing the intention and you're saying they were arrogant or um, foolish or whatever, not to buy a, a replacement for company because they decided to, it's completely different to the actual reality. But like, again, even this summer with a left back, I know they were considering it at first. as far as I know, they spoke to Tagliafico's people a couple of months ago. And then just the fact that they kind of semi-tried after the Leicester game, but then didn't really, you know, push it through. It just makes me think, what were they doing? And, you know, obviously you mentioned the United comparison earlier on. And in my review of the transfer window, I mentioned that Gary Neville tweet where, you know, he said like eight years ago, which I think, yeah, Ferguson was still there then. So he was obviously talking about other clubs, but since then it's applied to United basically every year. But he was like, the club's doing business on deadline day, the the unorganised clubs or whatever. But I was like, well, 
normally City are, are kind of done. Yeah. But this summer, it's like, well, they are done. They're not going to the, buy anyone did else. Did they make any they, inquiries they, at all? They should mind. be. Um, I don't think so. I mean, not as far as I'm aware. I mean, look, four years ago, they tried to sign Mbappe when nobody knew who he was. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I don't know if they tried anything like that, but I know, um, you know, people at the club were expecting a quiet day, shall we say. Yeah. They weren't. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I don't I don't think so. And, I, and just because there was, my point really is just because there's no element of rushing around on deadline day doesn't mean the city have been organised this summer. I think it's, I, I don't think it's, it's panned out well at all. And look, there'll probably be a few more I don't know, positive fans or that's half full fans or whatever you want to call it. Listen to this going, uh, well, they did buy some good players and they did. Um, and they've, you know, they've addressed some holes in the squad. But I think the way I, I would term that and how I tweeted my article on Tuesday morning was they can be happy with the players they did get, but they should be worried about the ones they didn't get because yeah. it's 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 um, not enough. And if we're talking about, you know, Ruben Diaz or Koulibaly wouldn't have solved all the issues. And neither a left-back wouldn't have solved them all anyway. But Christ, never mind they're defending. When's the last, when's the last time a left-back actually contributed to the attack? Or like with Sterling going inside, when's the, when's the last time the, the opposition could actually have to worry about the left-back doing something rather than just either coming back inside or just banging the ball in the box with their head clear, which is what they wanted anyway. Like yeah. They could actually do with somebody to make that... Um, to make that difference in attack. Um, but yeah, um, those issues, this, the bigger issues aren't going to be addressed anyway, unless Guardiola can find, you know, a, a solution in midfield and to get the forwards to, you know, win the ball back or make fouls again, like the same way they did first. And But beyond Torres, who doesn't do that anyway, like as Guardiola kind of admitted, after the Leeds game, he's not much of a presser anyway. Um and they obviously didn't want to sign a midfielder. It's almost like, well, I mean, you'd hope from City's point of view they've got an idea of how they're going to put that right. I mean, I've, uh, I still think they can because there's enough quality there between Guardiola and the players. But if you look at the the game so far this season, um, not not a huge amount of evidence of it. Well, I was going to say that uh, that almost too too conveniently neatly segues into the uh, into the game at Leeds. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I suppose my first question after off the back of that that point at Ellen Road, has Guardiola made any moves whatsoever to bring Sam Allardyce in yet? <laughs> uh, it, it's just it's just the maddest bloke, isn't he, Richard? <laughs> like, and like I, I tweeted, like I would love to see Guardiola's reaction because you know Guardiola's reaction, the, the way he always talks about you know football isn't defence and attack, like everything is linked together, like absolutely it- everything. Did he on his? Was it in his first season? Did he say something like, "I'm glad to be here with uh, the big Sam" and like that sort of? I think he might. Thing. Have, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like in terms of like characters of the English game, that kind of thing. I think he did actually, but just the way that he thinks about football and how everything's joined together. For them, somebody to suggest to him that some other should come in, <laughs> and I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to. I was trying to play devil's advocate for keys a bit which is probably the that's a slippery slope i think you could ever do yeah but it's like um if if he was actually talking about i don't know like a defensive coach in terms of i don't know like positioning or how to hold off a man or one-on-one defending yeah yeah exactly then it's like maybe he's got a point but i mean he kind of got like guardiola kind of got this far without that and like 
his defenders in the past, like if, if Guardiola's game plan was fundamentally flawed, and I think maybe at the moment there's obviously issues with it and that, that comes under that. But if it was the, if the whole attacking football thing, in inverted commas, was his fundamentally flawed, was it wouldn't flawed, have gotten yeah. this far. Like it just, like those defenders, um, it just wouldn't have, it just wouldn't have worked so far. Um, I mean, yeah, but I mean, maybe there is, I'm going to say maybe there's something in it. I don't know. But like, I can't say that. But it's, <laughs> But like, if you look at, there was one, you know, when Rodrigo came on for Leeds and he'd hit, he hit the bye, he was kind of dribbling into the box and he hit the bye, went out for a corner. Um, Diaz stood him up in a way that was actually pretty good. Um, and I think he got, it wasn't like the best block ever, but he got enough on the shot and that's why it was a corner. Um, and it wasn't like, I'm like saying, it's not the best defending ever, but immediately there, I think you can see a difference with Otamendi. Yeah. Because he just he back he gave him enough space. He was put, he backed off him enough that I don't think Rodrigo could have made enough of the space to to have a shot without being closed down. So we had to kind of go around him, and Diaz did well enough to stand him up. And that's the kind of thing where maybe I'm thinking Guardiola's just relied on having defenders who are good one on one, and when they're not, he can't coach them. Um, I don't know. It seems hey. it seems very unlikely that it, like it's just. It seems very unlikely. I, I don't think that's the case, but I, I mean, maybe there is something in, in like in, in just improving certain players in certain actions. I don't know. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. It's interesting you mentioned earlier the, um, the the Fernandinho sort of role that he was performing a couple of years ago uh, and with regards to Roderick because there was there was an attack that Leeds had in the second half. Uh, this was after City had lost control of the game before they wrestled it back for the final 10 minutes um, where they gave the ball away in the middle. It was almost a, like a carbon copy of the of the counter-attack that set up Leeds' uh, goal, the, the, the corner for the goal. Yeah. Um, there was a counter-attack that ended with a, with City uh, defending four on four with Leeds going into the box, yeah. and it, and it yeah. ended with a shot blazed over the bar from the left-hand side. Uh, there was a spell where Rodri tried three times to, to foul his man, and I just, all, all the way through that, I just I just kept thinking if Fernandinho was if you swapped him for Fernandinho of, of two or three years ago, then either City would have had the ball or Leeds would have had a free kick on the halfway line. There wouldn't have been any other kind of. There's no middle ground to that. Yeah, and yeah. It, it almost perfectly summed up City's problems of, of the last kind of eighteen months or so. And I'm, I was amazed at the number of people who after the game who are not City fans or don't watch City regularly, that were uh, surprised at, at that, that City made such a bright start and uh, and then had kind of let control of the game go and, and ended up just basically scraping a point after half an hour of, of uh, end-to-end football. And uh, like my reaction to that is if, you, if you're surprised by that, then you've not really been paying attention to City in the last 18 months. Yeah, it's a bit like what we were saying about the Leicester game where people are like, oh, wow, what happened there? Like City getting beat 5-2. And look, getting beat 5-2 at home, you do think... That, that is obviously unacceptable. But yeah, again, if you've been paying attention, you wouldn't be majorly, majorly surprised. And especially a team... In fact, I remember putting money on Leicester last year to win at the Etihad because it was around, it was in December. It was around that time that City had lost to United. They had all those kind of problems on the break and they couldn't stop the... Yeah, couldn't stop the counter-attacks. And obviously Leicester was so good for it. Um, obviously City won in the end. 
but it's not surprising that a team like Leicester were, were able to do that last week. And again, I suppose it's not surprising that a team like Leeds, um, because like Guardiola said after the game, people always think it's just the rich clubs you can play like this. But you can, you know, you can play that kind of football. You can Im- implement the style uh, at um, clubs with with less resources, and they can, you know, go toe to toe with the big boys. And they might they might not always win because of the quality, but with those kind of plans, you can do it. And yeah, it was no surprise really that a team like Leeds could could trouble City in that way. Um, so uh, yeah, why, was... why why couldn't City find that second goal then in that first twenty twenty five minutes or so? Because because Le- Leeds Leeds were cer- yeah well Leeds were certainly they were, they were so far on the back foot and it wasn't just uh, I mean like like sometimes there's, there's these games where City have a lot of the ball and don't really carve out any chances but like that it just felt like like Leeds were desperate to give it away to them in dangerous areas yeah um, but again that's because, yes, that's because City started well but then. If, again, if you're asking me why they can't, why they didn't put their chances away, then it's just the same as it has been for the last, definitely last season. Um, but like, there wasn't great, great chances. Um, there was the Torres one, which was blocked off the line, which was again, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad finish. It was just good defending. But yeah, and then if you're talking about City getting the getting the ball and winning it back in dangerous areas, I guess it's bad decision making. Like people were trying shots from the edge of the box or, you know, they were passing when they should have had a shot and shooting when they should have had a pass. That was the kind of vibe I got. Um, Foden didn't have a great game in terms of decision-making, in terms of anything really, but in, especially in terms of decision-making. Um, Mares very similar. Um, I mean, obviously De Bruyne was kind of on the left for a fair bit and you think, presumably Guardiola thinks that whatever he can bring in that role will be key to the game as opposed to putting him where he normally is um, on the right-hand side and putting balls into the box. Well, I suppose those balls into the box are more effective against teams that, you know, sit back and need to be unpicked. And he's, he'd be just as um, dangerous, I suppose, on the other side of the pitch. But then the other thing is, like, stuff that we just don't take for granted whatsoever. Like, sorry, stuff that we do take for granted. Like, after the game, obviously, I think Leeds had more possession. And people were like, oh, well, obviously that's a sign. That's a sign that Leeds troubled City. I don't think it necessarily is. And what Guardiola was saying was the reason there's low possession is because you're not, you're not passing it. It's not a passing game. Yeah. Like nobody was passing that ball, were they? It, it, was, was, it, it, was, it was basketball, you attack, we attack sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And, like, and again, Guardiola would have known that going into the game because he played Phil Foden as a number eight, which, as we've said a lot of times, that's not going to happen normally. Now, in terms of will Foden or Bernardo Silva play instead of David Silva in that role? No, generally. When I wrote that article, I was told that there'll be very, very few occasions when Guardiola doesn't feel that he needs that control, when he needs that kind of midfielder to keep the ball circulating. And actually, a game against Leeds is one because it's all about transitions and it's all about spaces and um, having direct players that... Um, that use the ball in a different kind of way. And that's obviously the game he kind of planned for. Um, I suppose he just figured there'd be no point even trying to establish the usual game. And they just, let's say he's fast, direct attacking players decide it. And in fairness, like, as you say, in the first 20 minutes, especially 25 minutes, City had enough, not chances, but chances for chances. You know, they had yeah, the ball in those areas enough to, to have created better than they actually did. 
But that that first kind of 20, 25 minutes, it really confuses me this season because like, I, I, I honestly, going into the game, I saw no Fernandinho on the team sheet and that was, that was it for me. That was the point at which I thought, oh, City are going to struggle to control this game. And you think to as soon as Fernandinho went off against Leicester, that's when they lost the control. Uh, they had control of the Wolves game for for a, a long time in that game, other than kind of what ten to fifteen minutes where Wolves had a, a few attacks in the second half. Yeah, they were uh, good in that game. Yeah, that that was that that was the the Rodri Fernandinho double pivot again. Um, and so I thought, oh, it's, you know, it's, I, I, they're going to struggle here. And then they set off, and they had full control of it with that with Rodri on his own in that in that defensive position. And then in the end, the only way they could get that control back was reinstate that double pivot, Rodri Fernandinho at the end. Yeah. One, yeah. And so that's just it confuses me in that 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 first twenty minutes, I'm not sure whether it is what City should be aiming for for longer or whether it's just an anomaly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and like I, I kind of fall into this trap sometimes. Like I remember after that Southampton game in July, when they had loads of shots and chances and they lost. And I was kind of tempted to think, well, this isn't the same as the issue City have had all season. And then I was like, what are you talking about? Of course it is. Um, but the Leeds game, you mentioned the word anomaly. Like, it does feel like hmm, maybe it was the same problems in a different setting. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't, hmm, yeah, I think that's probably the best way to put it because obviously City weren't great at dealing with the counterattacks, lost control of the game. But again, like I say, it was, it was a different kind of game. They're not going to have another game like that all season, really. Like, nobody's going to, like, for a start, Guardiola won't pick a team that doesn't have that level of control for anybody else, I don't think. Um, it's just a consequence of playing Leeds away, I guess, and the way he planned for it. Um, and But I don't think any team's going to play like that against City either. So, yeah. But then maybe the other way of looking at it is City's problems are kind of so, I don't know, all-encompassing that... They apply no matter the type of game. <laughs> yeah. And like you, you would have thought, I don't know, maybe City could have scored five in that first 20 minutes and it, and it would have been great. And then you'd think they'd be fine, but then the problems would return. But I don't know, maybe it came down just to a bit of, yeah. I, it, it's, to be honest, it's just got to be the same problems really, I think. But like I say, just in a different setting. And that's why you said, you know, by the end of the weekend, everybody was looking at the game differently. So yeah, okay. I mean, obviously like everyone enjoyed, um, everyone listened to this, I imagine, this enjoyed United getting beat quite heavily um, and everyone obviously would have enjoyed Liverpool losing and Liverpool's more relevant because you think oh okay well maybe they're not so good and and maybe they won't you know maybe City won't need 95, 96 more points to to win the league but at the end of the day City's problems are City's problems and they need fixing yeah. as much as anything I'm much more confident that you know I didn't think Liverpool were great in the restart but I'm much more confident that they will you know bounce back and be fine than, than you know City will kind of put their issues right especially well, I, without actually doing much in the transfer market in terms of a midfielder a striker and definitely a left back I wanted to get your take on on the context of uh, of the weekend then in that case because like maybe City, City's issues like you say uh, they're definitely there and present and they've been ongoing for a while but maybe they're not as worrying if this is a season you know affected by players isolating so many games in, in so little time will result in you know players being available for some games not others games it's going to affect the whole of the league like this season could just be a bit mad, and like mm. for, for that reason, kind of City's issues are maybe not as as worrying as they would be in any other season. Um, well, possibly. I mean, I suppose the other thing is if like, anyone could I'll, beat anyone. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Well, like, but yeah, but then if anyone could beat anyone, then that's worse for City. 
Um, but like, like I said, like, and I wrote in the article after the Leeds game, you know, maybe there's an element of, you know, I mentioned Frodo and Mahrez in particular, but there were others. I was like, well, maybe if they were sharper with a few more games, they'd have scored those goals and it wouldn't have been a problem. And obviously the other the other element was as much as Leeds, Leeds' corner came from a counter-attack, um, it was an individual mistake, which is like you just can't really legislate for, but they yeah. keep happening, so maybe you can. But it was an individual mistake that you could say, okay, well, without that, City would have won. So I'm, I am still kind of thinking between the quality they've got and the fact that the fitness might come into it, they'll be all right. But you know, if, I don't know, if you're saying it's going to be a mad season where it's going to be all over the place and anyone can beat anyone, I think that's that's worse for for City, really. Um, because if the lower teams have got more of a chance of beating the better teams, then it, doesn't, it just doesn't favour City. Yeah. Already kind of it does, it does give them more opportunity to, to make up points, though, I suppose, in that, in that sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I mean, like if if this was you know if this was in the middle of the season, a win at Wolves, lo- a loss to Leicester, and then a draw at Leeds, would we look at it differently? Is it because it's is it because it's the opening of the season that we're looking at it as 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 maybe a negative? Yeah, because I think obviously there's always there's always like optimism going into a season, um, like for a, well for most clubs. Like Newcastle, I don't think I've always been <laughs> going into a season, for example, in recent years. But um, I don't know. I suppose the thing with City was there was, I don't know, maybe I might, I might be wrong. I might be reading the situation wrong, but I would say more hope than optimism going into this one. I think, you know, plenty of fans would have would have gone in thinking, oh, no, it's okay. We've got great players. We've got a great manager, so we'll be fine. But I do think there'll be a lot of people going, well, nothing actually has changed much since last season. And that's certainly my view on it. Um and then the Wolves game was like, okay, like like I wrote at the time, it's a reminder that things aren't that bad. You know, they've still got good players and they'll still be okay, but there are things that need to be sorted out. But then just the Leicester game and the Leeds game um, was a, I think it was a reminder of the issues. And I think it's it's a, I don't know if it makes any difference actually, because when you're City, when you're a big club now that's expected to win every game, um, it doesn't matter when that, when this result comes because if it comes at the start of the season you think bloody hell we've got problems here and if it comes in the middle you think well we've fallen behind it's not enough like there's there's no good time to have a patch like this it's just it's all about the reaction so I suppose obviously there's there's enough time to go and again yeah maybe the Liverpool result did you know did have the um, the effect really because I think after Liverpool's first three games everyone was like well City have got problems and Liverpool are looking fine so Liverpool are going to win it again. And then all of a sudden, they lose. And you think, oh, okay, it might not be so straightforward. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I think when you're a team like City now, when you're expecting to win every game, and also expected, you know, rightly, generally, to win every game, um, there's no good time for a spell like this because you're always going to have a bit of soul-searching and, and work out what's going on. And, yeah, because of, you know, last season was so recent and the problems, you know, were so obvious in that last game against Leon you were kind of looking for something to change in that meantime and they haven't yet. But like I say, with with a bit of fitness and match sharpness, maybe maybe things will change. But Does it change with a with a, with a fit and available Sergio Aguero? Yeah. They'd, I mean, they'd probably beat Leeds with him in the team. Or, I mean, he's going to go to show that the job they've got next next summer to, to get somebody in. You know, as we were saying earlier on, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, Haaland's bio clause is available next year. So, yeah, but it's not just available to City, is it? Like, everyone's going to want to buy Haaland. 
like Mbappe is available next year, but I know like Real Madrid have made a lot of move towards that. But you never know. You know, you, you'd you'd be hoping that these are the kind of names that City would go for. Anyway, I mean, I'm I'm worried that I'm a bit of a broken record here, and I'm also worried that I'm a bit down on City's chances. But like I say, the fitness could help. Um, and yeah, like with Aguero in the team, um, you'd imagine he would score one of those goals. Um, any any news on when he'll be? Is it is it all the side of the international break, and he's going to be likely, you know, yeah, close, well, close on, to a return. Yeah, well, I replied to somebody on Twitter on Sunday night, I think, saying he'd be he'd be back training with his teammates after the international break, and then on Monday, City tweeted a picture of him in training. Obviously, there's a lot of there's a lot of players around the world um, getting in, getting infected with their national teams, um, so he should be back. Yeah, he, he should be back. Not long after the international break, but as Guardiola kind of pointed out before the Wolves game, it takes him a while to to get his fitness back. So he might not be too keen on throwing him straight back in. But I mean, obviously he'll be a huge boost. And and Jesus, like I put this in my piece after the Leeds game, I'm not saying Jesus would have scored the one-on-one that Sterling missed because Jesus probably would have missed it as well. But Guardiola made the point that Jesus' pressing would have been different to you know how Mares did it. And in a game like that, against Leeds who were trying to play out from the back, you know, Jesus in the team would have increased his chances of winning because he would have made the ball. He would have made it much easier to, to get the ball back. So, yeah, yeah like th- there's two players straight away who who would be coming back. Um, the only problem is most of the players are back now. Like Laporte was back, Diaz was back. Well, Diaz was in. The only thing you're hoping for is that that match rhythm. And then the only other midfielder to come back, again, you'd say Bernardo match rhythm will help him. But the only other midfielder to come back is Gundogan, which I think is a good thing. But most City fans listening to this will be like, well, what's that going to solve? So, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's a, it, it is hard for me to make a, a great case for City this year. It just takes a bit of faith, I suppose. We touched- like, that's, that's all I can really... Saying like I feel, I feel like I'm boring people because I'm just writing and I'm writing and saying the same thing at the, at the moment. But there's so many games and there's the issues are the same every time. I, I'm not really sure what else to say. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's, I, I mean, I want to mention Edison as well because um, I, I think uh, kind of, you know, it, under the radar, a bit low-key last season, he had quite a bad season. And yeah. I don't, like, like the criticism that, that the likes of Joe Hart got for some of his poor performances against City, I think I think Edison escaped quite a lot of that last season. Um, it was a weird game for him at Ellen Road because he made saves that he definitely wouldn't have made last season, they, that, that would have crept in. And I'm not yeah. saying that's that's yeah. it's that's through bad goalkeeping. Like, like there were moments last season where he'd done pretty much the same thing as he'd done at Ellen Road, but the ball snuck under his hand or it snuck you know, past his foot sort of thing. Yeah. And he made those big one-on-one saves. And then after all of that, he punches the ball onto the back of Benjamin Mendy and, and it's a tap-in. And yeah. I just I, I kind of re- don't really know where to place him at the moment. Yeah, and like you say... Um... That I mean, that or as you were hinting, that kind of error is unusual because one of the best elements of his game, obviously, everyone focuses on the kicking, and he does make some good. Like to be fair, he made that really good save. Was it another Rodrigo chance? Was it a header? And he flicked it was, it over the yeah, bar. It was an and amazing save. It was but, a classic Twitter wrong hand save. 
Yeah, he went. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he went with his top hand, and he and he yeah, flicked it over the bar. Great. Um, but also the the thing about one of the strongest areas of his game, I think, which goes under the radar, is his handling on crosses. Like so many times, balls get put into the box. He goes, "Yeah, I love that." Like, look, I remember Southampton game last year. He might make a handling error in terms of making a save and pushing it out, and somebody scores the rebound. I think he's done that against Liverpool a couple of times. Um, but in terms of handling crosses, he just catches it. He's he's great with that. And then yeah, like I say, that happens then against Leeds, and he's and you just think, what is what is going on? And again, it, again, broken record time. But somebody who individually had. I'd say a disappointing season last year. You would hope, okay, he, he returns to his normal level, and you know the normal level of his first two seasons at City. Um, but then you know, third game, third league game of the season, and he plays like that, and he can't really work it out, as you say. Like, is he is he still going to have issues? Because it, like it only takes one la- like lapse in concentration for a goalkeeper, and you've had a bad game. You know, you yeah. cost one goal. Um, or, but then, like you say, you look at those. But he, say, he saved several and, others, those, yeah. and that fantastic other save I just mentioned from Rodrigo, and you think, wow, like he he, he could be so. It's just it's just another one, and that's kind of why I did my match report from a journalism point of view on well, not match report, but match article, like just kind of trying to cover as many topics as possible, and just trying to work out, trying to lay out where City are at the moment, because I could have gone down the route of they're screwed or they'll be fine when the players are back or maybe Guardiola's not handling this brilliantly or focus on Diaz or focus on the counter-attacks or whatever. But it's like, I, I can't quite work out yet where they're at. And it's going to become pretty apparent after the international break, as Guardiola keeps saying now, when they've got Premier League games and Champions League games, because they've got like three Champions League games in three consecutive midweeks. Yeah. So it's like we're going to soon find out what the issues are and we're going to be able to say, oh, no, they're fine actually with fitness or, oh, no, it's fine. You know, the, the midfield actually works quite well with so-and-so here and so-and-so here and Rodri's better protected and the forwards are pressing better or we're going to be able to say, oh, God, it's just this, 1920 yeah, oh God, this, all over again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, God, there's, you know, they've not learned anything. The transfer market was a disaster and Guardiola's not happy. And look, I mean, look, we, we say we're going to, I mentioned last week, we're going to have to have a conversation about Guardiola, but the Q&A on the athletic, uh, just as much as anything, you know, we can drill into the the methods, or you know, whether he could do with Sam Allardyce telling his defenders when to make a tackle or whatever. But just his, just the mood, and like he was in the best mood of the season after they lost against Leicester, and then he was kind of like so carried away with how much he enjoyed the game on Saturday, and it's just like. I don't know, like it's just <laughs> it's just such, such a weird mood at the moment, like yeah. generally grumpy, just gen- generally grumpy, and I can see why fans think, even though I've no idea if this is the case or not, but I can see why fans think he's going to leave at the end of the season. And I, people are suggesting, like, is he even bothered? And I mean, that's, I mean, I'm sure he is. I'm certain he is. But th- these are the kind of questions you get when, you know, you go around in a bad mood for all your interviews. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't you know, it doesn't convey a very good message, does it? So that's that's definitely something to keep an eye on as well. I mean, yeah. I, I, like I say, in terms of this season, how it's going to pan out, I'm basically kind of relying on faith, like I said, that, that with all that quality, they'll be fine. I think the my, where I'm putting my faith the most is in Guardiola to, you know, prove some people wrong and prove, I don't know, maybe he can, maybe he can win the title while being... A miserable fucker all season. Um, I wouldn't put it past him, but it's like 
like I say, I can really understand fans who think he's going to leave at the end of the season. And to be honest, if I had to put money on something at the moment, that would be the outcome I'd go for as well. Yeah. Um, nobody likes talking about this anymore. Uh, I think there'd be City fans listening to this who would think it remiss of me if I didn't bring this up. Um, could City? Could the game have been different had a couple of decisions gone City's way? I'm thinking uh, the potential penalty on, on Sterling that didn't seem to be, or if it was was checked by VAR, it was a, a very brief look at the at the monitor from uh, from the VAR. The handball penalty that I, I I guess probably wouldn't have been even before they changed the interpretation this weekend, and uh, the red card right at the death potentially on on Bernardo Silva. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, like. Um, I, while I answer this, try and think of something positive we can talk about to finish on. Um, yeah, I, 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 again, I put this in my article and I tried to weigh up all the, the good and the bad. And like I mentioned, with Edison's mistake, without that, you know, they'd have won the game. Um, if Sterling or Aguero had have had that one-on-one or whatever, they'd have won the game. And I, I thought it was a penalty on Sterling. I didn't think the handball one was, but at the end of the day, even with the new, you know, they've clarified it and supposedly made it better. I'm still not convinced that there'll be good penalty decisions all the time. Um, and then the other one, um, yeah, the red card at the end. Yeah, it should have been a red card. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they were doing there, but I'm not sure it would have changed the game at that stage. Anyway. A bit too late, yeah. Um, so, yeah, again, like that's definitely a thing. Like I so said, I keep going back to maybe it would be better if the fitness was better and there was more preseason or there was no errors or whatever. And yeah, that's part of it, you know, if they'd have got the penalty. Um, so, so, yeah, definitely. And that's a, a bit more of a positive spin on the game because I, I I don't want a load of comments or feedback to this saying we've both been really um, down on the team, but it, it just feels like how it is at the moment. But I'm trying I'm trying to think of really good good things to to, to pick out from the game. Um, like I say, Diaz looked good. Um, Diaz, I, I know, like. I remember people were talking about this at the weekend. The people like I still remember Mangala's debut and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, okay. But Diaz looked good. Um, I tell I tell you what I find good, most. Good report. I, I, I tell you what I find most positive from that game, and it, it's not like the way we talked before about about how easily the midfield was played through. It was it was the fact that City did get control of the game back. And yeah. I mean, it, I know it was only ten minutes at the end of the game. I know it wasn't enough to get over the line and get the points, but. One of the one of the biggest problems City have had, and I guess it I, I guess it stems back to you know even Pellegrini's time at City because there are so many games where City are in full control and they don't lose control of the game. When they do lose control, they find it hard to to, to wrestle that back, and like it, it just feels like that that felt like such a positive step that for the final ten minutes it was City attacking leads rather than end to end basketball sort of stuff. And I I just I I, I felt that was a it was a Okay, they didn't get over the line, but it was a it was a good ending to the game for City. Yeah, and like Bielsa hailed that as like a big moment in the game. Um, and I suppose the other thing is because we talked about Guardiola and substitutions the week before, didn't we? And how mad is it that he did such an un Guardiola like substitution against Leicester to take off Fernandinho and basically lose the control of the game to bring on a seventeen year old striker when it was one all, but then to get it so right the week after by putting Fernandinho back on in the role he took him out of the week before. Yeah. so weird. Um, but yeah, um, it definitely helped. Look, without that, you know, we might be talking about City losing to Leeds. And I don't think any, you know, no matter how many goals United or Liverpool conceded on Sunday would have changed the, the, the complexion of a defeat, to be fair. So, yeah, that was good. And again, I'll put, I'll put that in my article as kind of throwaway, pithy comment of, you know, that introduction as a sub, you know, that, 
changing the game just should go to show that you know Guardiola does still know a thing or two. So that's um, yeah, there's there's that. You know, if we if we were one, if we were wondering if he's going to make stupid substitutions all season and lose control of the game, then we got a nice little answer that he, you know, that that did sort City out. Maybe maybe the lesser game was just a little bit of a brain fart. That's uh, you know he he, he he tried something it didn't work sort of thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. and like, uh, like we say that that like I said, I wasn't going to attack him for making the mistake last week because that can happen. I was more focused on the fact that it was so unusual. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to finish on uh, a question from Twitter because uh, MCFC fans corner asks, uh, "Do you think City's attacking threat has waned since we started playing inverted wingers? It used to be a lot slicker with Raheem on the right and Leroy on the left. Our attacks are now very predictable, and there's less cutbacks to the runners from midfield. I also feel inverted wingers work if you have sharp attacking fullbacks like Liverpool. So this doesn't necessarily mm. suit us. No." Um... There's, I'm looking for more DMs now because I got a load of DMs after the Leicester game. I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't look at them all. But there's one guy I speak to quite a bit because he's been banging this drum quite a, for quite a while. Here we go, I found it. Um, and Mike, if you're listening, I'm reading your DM now because I knew what you were going to say. He's been talking about this a lot, um, even last season. He says he doesn't like Sterling on the left and the inverted wingers don't work. But what I've always, always said is well, it worked. In the end of 2018-19, that was the best end of a season run you're ever going to have. Um, and it was fine. And also, the, the, the other thing is, I completely agree about the, the left-back. I was talking talking um, to Michael Cox about this. I think he might do an article on, on it um, or something similar anyway in terms of the inverted wingers. And again, as part of this article I've written on the left-backs and what I said earlier, you know, if you're going to have inverted wingers, then you, you need a proper good left-back threat to exploit the space on the wing and actually draw a defender out instead of just going, oh yeah, we'll let him cross it. Um, but even so, Zinchenko was mainly in the team at the end of that 2018 season when it worked well and he wasn't bombing forward and, you know, a, a huge attacking threat either. So I, I don't, I, I'm confused. I'm confused. Um, but what I'll say is it has worked so, it has worked so well. So it, why wouldn't it now? So it makes me think if it was working before and it's not working now, then that's not the issue itself. It's something else. All I wonder is maybe if Guardiola were to go back to something of stretching the game with a left footer on the left and a right footer on the right, could he then use his fullbacks to come inside and offer that little bit of defensive yeah, solidity exactly. against the break? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that solves the double pivot issue, maybe. But there is no... Yeah, it does. But there's no left winger, is there? <laughs> Oh, stop, stop. I, I, I thought I'd solved it then. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but, that, but that's the thing as well. And it's like, well, I obviously don't know more than Guardiola. But, <laughs> but I was thinking but I was thinking that earlier as well. I was like, well, if you just, if you put both of them in there, which, you know, he's kind of toyed with that Southampton game I mentioned. Um, he's toyed with, you know, bringing, I think, I'm sure he was Cancelo and Zinchenko inside with Fernandinho going into the back three at Southampton away in July. So it's obviously still there somewhere, but you would just think, yeah, Sinchenko inside with Rodri and Walker, you've got a three, you've got a three man shield there for Diaz and Laporte. That sounds good to me. And then you'd have how many men? Have, how many of that is that? Five. That's five. So you've got another five. So you'd have, you'd always have Aguero. You'd always have De Bruyne. So you've got another three. So you've got another another number eight, which is going to be Gundogan, like it or lump it. And then you've got Sterling, Mares, Bernardo. Any of those. Well, well, I guess it will be Sterling and Mahrez, or but this is, this is the issue. There's nobody to provide that width on the left. There just isn't. 
No, because he'd cut inside, wouldn't he? Yeah. Like you could just get, you could say, well, could Sterling do it? And yeah, maybe like he could stand there, but um, it's not going to happen or it, it can't happen really. That's the, so that's the, that's the thing. It's like, in terms of going back to the transfer market and Torres coming in, it could be, it could be a really good buy and like, it could be great for City in the next, this season and the next few years. But in terms of like the Sane replacement, he's not the body up front and he's, he's not the alternative. Um, but in terms of a Sane replacement, you'd want a left footer. You, you would think. Like it's not because, you know, I doubt Guardiola could sit in front of us and say we didn't need another left footer because the left flank's working so well anyway, because it's not. And that's part of the reason I think Sterling had issues last year. Because I just think his confidence got so damaged by just basically having to run into three men marking him on the corner of the penalty box the whole time because the left back wasn't really doing anything. And and David Silva was a bit out of form and, you know, just everything was a bit clunky. It just all kind of fell apart. But yeah, exactly. Like you would think that 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 three-man shield in front of the defence, so defending with five, which I think is what they always aim to do, um, that would work great. Um, and it would help Rodri out no end. But it just doesn't seem to, it just doesn't seem to be an option. If you're listening, Pep, you can uh, send the checks courtesy of The Athletic and we'll uh, we'll pick them up from there. Uh, that's it for this week's Wire Whistles. Uh, you've been listening to Sam Lee. Yeah, thanks very much. It will get more cheerful as the season goes on. <laughs> I promise maybe. you. Uh, and to me, David Mooney as well. Don't forget, you can sign up to The Athletic for just £1 right now by using the code MANCITYPOD. Mm-hmm. 